Right. I I don't even think it would be a normal distribution at all at that point. I think it would break down. Da David, don't think this is directed at you, this conversation. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost rainy season here, too. If you're like seven feet tall and you're not in the NBA, like, do you, how's your self esteem? Enormous health problems. There's um, Che Hong Mong, was that his name? He was the Korean kickboxer. He was very popular. And, and he had to get um, brain surgery because he wouldn't stop growing. Brain surgery? Yeah, they had to like do something with like, a, it's like a, is it a pituitary gland or some kind of gland issue? Like he had a condition where his body wouldn't stop growing and if it kept growing, he was going to die. <laughs> he had to get it take the switch out. But yeah, it's like, I, I think there's that relationship too. Like, uh, again, also, David, this isn't directed at you. Like, once you get over a certain height, like, you're um, also, like, life expectancy goes. Like, I think it's like 6'8 or 6'9 or something. So you, you're okay, David, but I mean, there, you, have, you have other factors that are making your life expectancy questionable. I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a drive-thru daiquiri? Yeah. Um, actually, it's from the Tennessee Valley Agricultural and Industrial Fair. Nice. I'm drinking um, just ice water. It's so hot here. Yeah. Really? It's almost rainy season here, so it's gotten like, it's starting, that humidity starting to set in. We're getting close. Yep. Oh, really? Uh, mid June, and we actually oh, that's right. had have a rainy rain season. last um, uh, last week, which is unusual for me. We had rain all last night, but it's like not rainy season, so all of the rain is like disappointing. So you wanted to go ahead and get it over with. 
Just like start. Yeah. Yeah, we usually have like April, like late April. Well, actually, yeah, like probably like the end of April and May are like the the like it rains a lot and it's kind of like the we get our pre flooding, like we get our pre hurricane flooding and our prep, like we get to prep right. for yeah. hurricane season with our flooding. I think we, we should just do the whole podcast okay. about the weather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about the weather all over well, the is... south: the Florida uh, weather, the New Orleans weather, Houston. Is it? Isn't this a talking <laughs> weather? The podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I have it on good authority. It's raining in Knoxville talking right weather. now. So, um, <coughs> so um, I have two sources. Two is sources. That, a song? that are. T- I actually like talking about it. I like talking about the weather. I, I enjoy talking about the weather. I grew up in a house where my dad had, well, of course, for obvious reasons, had a hurricane, uh, like chalked out hurricane chart on the mm-hmm. wall and a barometer. Nice. I've been uh, looking for a barometer Apparently in Destin here. there used to be like a, a magical bush. <laughs> Not a magical bush, but a magical bush that uh, you would watch to know when like different fish were running. Because it's pretty, well, I guess it's not really magical. It's, the seasons change. <laughs> I mean, what was it like the magic are we recording the tur- Are you recording? How turgid the leaves are or the whether there were leaves on it or not? <laughs> uh, whether there are fi- fish in the bush. Oh. Or not. <laughs> it wasn't actually a bush, it was more like a body of water. Yeah. It was just a net. <laughs> well, I always have like full fish. I have a tree. Or I used to have a tree in my yard that I would know like it's hurricane season. Like I'd go out and look if it was on my house. Like I knew it was like, we were okay. But if it was because there's a jet ski it, parked under it. <laughs> if there's a jet ski parked under it. Yeah. That sounds good. Anyway, how's the weather? Were you... <laughs> okay. No. It was supposed. It, it was supposed to flood this weekend, but it didn't flood. Like it was sunny all weekend. The weather was off. The weather was really off this weekend. Kyoto is covered in covered in clouds, but bright. They're very shiny clouds right now. Uh, very bright, reflecting clouds. Mm. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's a chance of rain, ten percent. Chance of COVID, ninety-five percent. In Texas, open for business. Always open for business. Well, are we recording? Are we starting? Let's start. I've been started. Let's go. Let's go. We're recording. <clears throat> Love it. Gotta love it. Does that mean I give an intro? Does I do an intro about what yes. our podcast is named? It's Atticus Shrugged, a podcast about Southern culture, politics, stuff like that. Uh, I'm Wes Cheek. I live in an office in Kyoto where no one else comes in the office. Um, just me. We're technically not supposed to be in the office, but I come in here because um, I'm not good at working from home, it turns out. Uh, also, there's an emergency escape ladder here that I can do pull-ups on, so that's fun. I've been doing that. Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm also joined, as always, by uh, David Dykes. How are you, David? I have an emergency. <laughs> How's the well, weather in Mexico? I have an Mexico? emergency floor here in uh, my apartment where I'm stuck, uh, where I can do push-ups. I don't, but I can. <laughs> uh, the weather is yeah. It's good to have an dry, emergency floor. Hot and dry. I heard. I heard that. And Chad Watson in Houston, Texas. Yeah, I'm here. I'm uh, I'm working from home because I have no choice. Um, yeah. And uh, I have uh, I just have I have obstacles all around me that I can jump over, um, and that's how I get my workout in. 
Yeah, uh, both uh, literal and metaphorical. Yeah, literal and metaphor. Yeah, mostly metaphorical, but. <laughs> um, it turns out the, the my major obstacle to working from home is having a three year old. Who who would have thought um, that that would be? We thought about like sending him to my office, and then I would work from home. <laughs> he won't get on the bus. We keep yelling at him to get on the bus. He won't do it. He says, "Daddy, mommy, daddy, mommy." And no, the bus driver won't let him on. Have you tried putting a face mask on him? Yeah, zoomers. Putting a face <laughs> like a little chucky face mask. <laughs> uh, no, but I came home yesterday and he had drawn all over himself with markers, and so he had like this, uh, these just like warrior marks all over his face, and neck. He was born in New Orleans, so it might be about time to get his neck tattoo. His first baby's first neck tattoo. <laughs> oh, I, I always said like the longer, the longer you live in New Orleans, the more like kind of feasible the idea of getting a neck tattoo seemed is that just me that's how i felt about it like it seemed re- i'm not sure reasonable. but increasingly likely certainly <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I saw some cool ones at least some sort of scarring i guess man. yeah well there's a lot of scars there uh so i saw a deer downtown in downtown kyoto this weekend uh, nature is healing itself. Nature, we healing are the itself. virus. Uh, yeah, I'm using downtown kind of loosely, but in town, uh, <laughs> a deer. I mean, it wasn't like in the shopping shopping center or anything, but it was sitting by the river. It was very nice. It was nice to see a deer. Um, I think I heard a monkey, but I'm not sure. I'm never sure. Like that's that's a skill I don't have from growing up in America. Is like discerning when it's a monkey call and not a monkey call. <laughs> it's kind of some chat. There's some chattering out in the woods. Um, have you tried looking at the caller ID? Like and soon. No, I haven't uh, done that. I should. I could do uh, star sixty nine and call it back, and it answers in monkey. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know who it was. Is that still a thing? Do they still have? I don't know. Star sixty nine. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't tried it in a while. Well, anyway, welcome to our uh, our welcome to our two month two month long review of uh, the, the Last Dance, the documentary series about Michael Jordan and the Bulls' ninety eight trip to the playoffs. Uh, David's going to be walking us through the play. So it all picture it, Chapel Hill, nineteen eighty two. I mean, there is a lot there. There's a lot there, but it's probably not the place to talk about it. Um, it was really good. I finished it last night. Still don't like Michael Jordan. Yeah. Oh, wow. I watched the first episode who was the, today. So. Who was the David, general manager? Yes. Hmm? Uh, I Krause. saw that um, yeah. uh, our friend and oh, friend of the podcast, Starla, claimed that um, um, by the end of 2020, everybody would hate him. Well, I mean, that's been a pretty consistent bet for like the last 30 years. I don't know if there was a time yeah. when Jerry Krause was broadly loved. Yeah. Well, I think that it's just people are seeing yeah. it. On I think the, everybody that people who watch that sort of thing on television right. are seeing it. Well, I think everybody that's going to hate him probably hates him by now. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe there's a f- generation that didn't follow. I mean, uh, Michael Jordan. As opposed to all the the all the beloved uh, general managers the... in our public discourse. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Krause, uh, Kevin Danny McHale. Ainge, um, uh, Daryl Money, Daryl Money, um, 
Daryl Morey, the the Jerry Houston, Jones, the Houston general manager. Um, he's the owner, Jerry but he's Jones. a general manager for the. He's Cowboys. an owner. Uh, who's the guy oh, that yeah, was like the, right. the young the young and gun coach. for the Chicago Cubs, and now he's Boston Red Sox? Uh, Theo Epstein, Theo Epstein, guitar playing too. Um, yeah, general manager as well. Theo Epstein, well loved. Yeah, Welcome to no Sports relation. Talk with David Dykes. <laughs> sports are back. Yeah, We're back. Sports are back. According Tex in Texas, you can play sports now. Like that's what the that you can play sport with no, no competitors. Compet- no, uh, no competitors. Yes, <laughs> sports with no competitors. No. Finally, so we did it. Sports are open for new games for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All gifted children from the eighties. We won. We could have sports with no competitors. Um, spectators. Sports oh, with no spectators. David, you win. <laughs> now as long as as long as everybody involved is not allowed to talk about it it'll be perfect i was thinking about this the other day so right now they're preparing for if you play dungeons and dragons for example mm-hmm. yeah you example. learn to kind of read the room Mm-hmm. And when to have a conversation about uh, Dungeons and Dragons and when not yeah. to. But sports guys yeah. never learn that. No. Well, I think it's kind of uh, symptomatic of the entire <laughs> condition. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> so can I guys bring you up to speed on my uh, Mice and Mystics campaign I've been having for the last month? <laughs> so, like, Filch is an <laughs> underrated performer. You really got to go with uh, with a scamp in these situations. Um a lot, a lot more opportunities to, to pilfer cheese, a lot more opportunities to uh, hit pay dirt when you search. So I say, even though they're not powerful, don't have much armor, uh, go with a scamp when you're playing my Mystics. Did I read the room correctly there? I'll take there? that under advisement. I'll take it under advisement. <laughs> um, all right, so I, I had uh, a few things, well, to talk about today. The first one, oh, man, this is a bit, big segue, but it, it's in our, our purview, and I feel remiss in not talking about it, was uh, something that happened in February, but it's been all in the news, was the, the horrible murder of uh, Ahmaud Arbery. Have, have you guys been following that at all? I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Which is in uh, it's in Brunswick, Georgia, yeah. which is right just north of Jacksonville on the coast. I've never been there. It's supposed to be lovely there. But the one, the one, I wanted to ask this question because I've been having this kind of conversation on Twitter and Facebook. Um, it, was it unusual for you at all, as a young person or otherwise, to wander through someone else's property or to look inside of a building that was under construction? Is that something that seems unreasonable? Well, that's what I was thinking about. Was that, like, I mean, how many times have I? I was just looking in a house that's for sale across the street from me. I. Uh, uh, you know, walked up the steps and there's a kind of broken window there and I put my head down so I could see through and look and see what it looked like on the inside. Um, I mean, that just doesn't seem strange at all to me. Were you murdered? I was not, uh, mm-hmm. but I live in Mexico. And so you <laughs> yeah. get murdered for totally different reasons here. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I... Yeah, I've wandered through, like, yeah, property, uh, old, you know, home sites, you know, people, you know, construction sites and looking at stuff. Um, I mean, once when I was young, I wandered onto somebody's property and they pulled a shotgun on me and told me to get off their property. And I just kind of walked back over the fence. I mean, they didn't 
pointed at me, but they just had it with them, and then I just crawled, walked back over the fence and walked back into the woods. And that was a long <laughs> they were time much ago. happier with you lurking in the woods and cutting <laughs> across a property. <laughs> yeah. Did they happen to say "Go on, get" at any point? Mm. No, they didn't say that. They just said "Get off." They did say "Get off my property." And they didn't yeah, say "Get on out here." Yeah, we like in Florida, especially. Um, well, so when I was growing up in Destin, like they were building new subdivisions constantly, and like we would just play in the houses, right, like, all the time. We played hide and go seek in houses they were building, and it wasn't anything that was like, oh, we shouldn't be th- doing this. This is really naughty. This is something we're getting away with. I can't. We weren't like doing it in a bad way. It's like there's just empty building sites everywhere, and so you would. Like, and, and the other thing is, they were tearing down. They were tearing down the woods that you would normally be playing in, and putting in subdivisions. And so you'd end up playing in the subdivisions. And then once the houses were finished and had like a lock on them, you wouldn't play in them anymore, right? They were, you were just running through work sites. I mean, it wasn't any. Yeah, and I remember like my grandfather. My grandfather was really into, mm-hmm. you know, like he was into building houses and stuff. And we would stop. We would. He would see a house like being put up, and we would just like pull over, and he would. We'd get out and like walk around and like he'd check it out and you know and it was yeah yeah i mean i think the the overlying the things in the background of all this is like everyone who follows a story knows that it's complete bullshit excuse like for murdering somebody right but it's just like the the conversation that arose for for me was just like how many like everyone i know growing up and even as an adult like you look you've gone through construction sites you've looked in construction sites you've walked through construction sites even this weekend we went out for a walk on mother's day and there's like there was an old like a machia kyoto house that used to be in our neighborhood and it got torn down a few weeks ago and they started building something on the site and so we were trying to figure out if it was going to be one big house or divided up into apartments and so we were kind of like walking around the foundations of it trying to figure it out it's like it's a normal it's a normal thing to do. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't work. But, I mean, as I said, the overlying thing is like for when, you know, redneck gun nuts, racist, murder black people. Like anything, any there's anything's an excuse. It's so crazy to me. Like you know, well, there's someone's photo. Uh, they had a photo with a gun, so it was okay to murder them, right? Or they had a photo with money, or they wanted to be a rapper, right? Or, you know, it's whatever. I was told. I was told that uh, um, Arizona iced tea and Skittles were yeah. ingredients for That's drugs. Right. They are ingredients for drugs. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows that, right? Or yeah, playing your radio loudly at a gas station. Um, you know, sleeping in your house. Mm. All of these things. But, and, <clears throat> you know, it's infuriating in so many ways. But, like, the, the one thing is, like, you see... It's one reason I try. I don't do Facebook so much anymore. But you see the currency; these ideas just kind of spread through people. Like, oh yeah, of course. Oh, that's why. That's of course. Of course, that's why. Um, <clears throat> when like you know, the culprits are people I went to high school with, and I know those people uh, also walk through. <laughs> it, at best, like in the most in the most uh, kind of lenient interpretations, like we're on um, in unconstructed houses, right? Houses under construction, probably doing worse things in them. Um, well, there's a lot of juxtaposition these days between guys with rebel flags and machine guns, or or not machine guns, but rocket launchers, literally rocket sure. launchers. Yeah. In yeah. Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and the the just yeah it's just insane all of it is insane and to me i haven't followed the case so much since the mm-hmm. beginning right i mostly am kind of watching the response and thinking about it's sort of like every time there's a mass shooting uh, which apparently uh, COVID is a cure for mass shootings. Yeah. Because if you don't have kids in school, hey, problem yeah. solved. Problem solved. But um, every time you have a, a mass shooting, and there's all these people who seem to think that just letting everybody know that they really don't want this to happen is going to make it stop happening. Right. You know, that that talking about it and talking about it among their friends. And certainly I don't think we shouldn't talk about it or anything, but it's very frustrating the the different sorts of response and how much a lot of people seem to think is enough of a response. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things I don't think there's any, you know, uh, here's the solution to this. But like looking at I mean. The thing that's always so frustrating to me is that they think somehow, and there's it's a whole group of people that think somehow if you dissect the behavior of a person in a moment, you're going to come out with an answer for what should have happened, right? Or like, uh, well, you know, if he hadn't tried to grab the shotgun. Like, well, I mean, do, do people pull shotguns on you normally? How do you react, right? Like, what what is the correct... And, you know, it's the same thing with with Trayvon Martin. Like, well, if you yeah, haven't fought, know, yeah. if you haven't fought like, back, the, yeah. what do you do when someone's following you with a gun? You know, what, well, I think that it? um, well, it's really telling that the guy who released the video thought it was going to exonerate them. Yeah, yeah, he thought it exonerated instead of everybody yeah. who I know who watched it said, "Oh, that's a film of a murder." Murder, yeah, a horrifying murder. Um, I talked about this before, but there's I haven't seen him in a while, but there's a, a sociologist I met from University of Texas named uh, is it Errol Shapiro, is that his name? Uh, and he's really good. He does, We've probably talked about it before. He does a lot of research on gun culture, and he for his research, he went to all these gun training programs, and he has said that, um, at least when I saw him speak on it, that the main thing those train you on is not how to shoot a gun, but how to rationalize why it's okay to murder somebody. And and so like most of the questions in class aren't yeah. about like how should I hold, where should my finger be for like uh, trigger security and stuff like what how what's the best ki- type of pistol for this situation? It's about when is it okay for me to kill somebody? And the the instructor's kind of constant um, job is to say no, it's okay, it's okay under these circumstances. Here are all these circumstances where it's okay to murder somebody, uh, and that's kind of what about the the training is. Yep, which is terrifying. Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen footage of some of the training <clears throat> that police officers go through, and it's mm. pretty horrifying in a lot of cases. Uh, I mean, and I think increasingly so. Most of the cops who I know are older people now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like older than me. They tended to be my dad's friends rather than my friends. Yeah, but um, you know, and they're and they're really decent guys. And I really like them, and I, from the stories they tell and all the rest, I think they were good cops. But um, uh, I think that the training is increasingly militaristic. I think that the equipment is increasingly militaristic, and I think the whole country is increasingly militaristic. And that's right. part of the problem. And talking about what can be done, well, you know, no voter suppression in the Stacey Abrams election in Georgia might have been a good step. Uh, if Georgia had 
hate crimes laws, which they're one of yeah. the three states, I think, that doesn't. Right. Um, I mean, just politically, and po- politics isn't everything, but it's a it's a good start, I think. Well, yeah, and there has been some good writing of like how, like, just honestly racist, like the police force and prosecutor's office, and and even going up into like, uh, you know, state level offices are there, like, uh, you know, cleaning that out. Of course, would help. Um, you one know, one of the things, well, two things. So, yeah. With the police training, it's kind of not some you know I worked in uh, in juvenile lockup right, and it was awful. I wish I hadn't ha- hadn't had to do it. But like one of the most valuable things we learned is you all you're you're not you're not armed in any way, not even in, with anything right, and you are you know locked into a physical space with with adjudicated youth who have a lot of trauma, can sometimes be violent, all these things, right? But you are taught de-escalation techniques, right? And so, of course, I, I realize that police officers, um, you know, I, I can assume that the, the people I'm talking to and dealing with aren't armed and stuff, right? But, like, you see so many people just, like, skip straight through any kind of de-escalation to go straight to, okay, well, I can shoot someone here. Um, it, it, because, like, de-escalation... I think in some ways makes you it doesn't you don't look tough doing it right you don't look cool doing it right it's usually you trying to like um, calm somebody down and you uh, kind of play the role of yes I understand why you're upset right and you know I'm sure Chad I'm sure you have to do this for schools too like I've worked in rough schools where like hurting someone isn't an option right and so you have to kind of like it takes a lot of time and patience to do de-escalation and it's never like really fun or is never action packed well and like speaking from a teacher like I mean just a teacher perspective this and like I mean teachers are not trained on how to, you know, like, de-escalate a situation. So I'm sure, like, it's the same thing. A lot of, um, I don't know what goes on in a lot in a lot of uh, police departments, but I'm sure there's not a whole lot of, like, you know, training and, like, this is how you de-escalate, like, a situation. This is how you talk somebody down that is uh, going to hurt people. You know, it's just like, here's, like, oh, here's, like, this really expensive, like, military equipment, and it will kill somebody, and... You know, if somebody's dead, they're not going to hurt anybody. So that's, you know, so there's no, like, training. I mean, it's like going back to teaching. You know, we, a lot of, like, you know, like at our school, yeah, we do have a lot of, like, discipline problems. And we've been trying to, you know, it's just the the teachers will, yeah, they don't de-escalate. And they just write the kids up or, you know, kick the kids up to, like, some sort of, like, further punitive measures and, yeah, and the other the other angle I was going to take on that is, I, you know, mainly because of where I'm from and also being involved in uh, jujitsu, I have a lot of friends on Facebook who are like the really responsible gun guy guys. You know what I mean? Like, uh, probably used to be in the military, but like take mm-hmm. um, take guns seriously and don't seem crazy. They're kind of really responsible about it. But like the thing that bothers me about like that part of gun culture too is that it provides like. It provides a cover for these people. It provides this like air of respectability for these nutcases who, uh, who are just primed to, to commit murders. You know, um, 
and I don't think, yeah. and I feel like the people who are that part of that gun culture, which is included in gun culture, like don't see themselves as operating that way. Like, oh, those guys were, they're not being responsible. But it's like, that's easy to say every time. Like you have like people who own a lot of guns and are like riled up on this idea of, uh, of crime, rampant crime, rampant violence, and that we have to do something about it. Right. It's just cover for them. And it, I, don't, I don't understand the whole situation. Like if you, let's, let's say we believe their story and we think, okay, we saw this guy like walk through like one, like who cares? We saw this guy walk through a construction site and we think he's committing robberies. <laughs> uh, and so we have to do something about it. Like first you're a moron for having that position. Right. But uh, let's say you think that is your responsibility and then you leave your house armed. Like why? Uh, and why do you leave your house? Why do you go out? Like what's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Right. And then why don't you just say to the person, Hey man, what's going on? And like, say, say for example, again, I don't believe this story, but say we believe the story of, of they think someone's really breaking into stuff, right? Well, then, like, okay, isn't that going to be enough? You said, hey, I see you, right? That, that's en- that's that's enough, right? Uh, but no, but that's to be- just a cover story. Of course it is. I of mean, course, I don't accept it. Look at the it, but- West Bank after <laughs> Katrina in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, um, when Donald Harrington, uh, you remember that, uh, mm-hmm. and his two co- his cousin, um, uh, I think I uh, hang on just a second. I have it here in front of me. Uh, Marcel Alexander, with his friend the Chris Collins. What's that? Is this the one the cops burned burned in the car? No, this is where the vigilantes just shot oh him Jesus from yes yes the yes. Neighborhood. yes yes and I those people had been waiting to shoot somebody right. for a long time. Yeah. And they were waiting for an excuse to get away with it. It Absolutely. wasn't a matter of feeling threatened in any way. It was just they were waiting. And um, actually, my nephew was talking to me about a conversation he was involved with the other day um, but with people in my family about, can you shoot somebody if they step on your property? And, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, just uh, this idea of like, can you get away with it if they step onto your property? How much do they have to do before you get to shoot them? Right, right, right. Instead right. of saying, what's yeah. the last possible thing that, um, um, you know, how far can somebody come before you have to shoot them? Right. Instead, the question is, how, you know, how soon can you get away with murdering somebody? Right. Or however you want to express it, but it seems pretty much like murder. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I think there's all, all of the stories, which I'm getting, all of the stories are, are bullshit. All of the stories are covers for people who uh, wanted to murder someone and are fairly assured of getting away with it. Yep. Um, okay, now that I'm riled up about that, <laughs> we have other stuff to get through today. I think we'll come back to this story because it's not going away and it's crazy and just a sad story. Uh, and um, Well, I think there's... Hmm? I think there's a really good segue to the Venezuela story because it's the same. I people. do. It's the same people. That's what I want to talk about. And this Venezuela story to yeah. me, this is just the just the perf. This is Florida to me. This is the Florida story. And we talked before about like uh, we've done a lot about Appalachia and we've done like how is Florida different and stuff. This this story is just like pure unrestrained Florida to me. Um, and I haven't, I can't find the story. I read a story about it early on about like the room they were in trying to make the deal with these uh, Venezuelan um, expatriates. And it's about like how there's a display of like samurai swords on the wall of the apartment overlooking the Atlantic <laughs> Ocean where they like, tried to cut the deal. <laughs> and it's this, uh, 
who is it, uh, Goudreau, who was like the Canadian who ended up becoming uh, American yeah. Green Beret and then got out of the military with uh, $100,000 of unspecified debt. And so he decides that his big money-making opportunity is going to be found Silver Corp, who is uh, going to be like a mercenary organization. <laughs> and I have to tell you, so where I'm from in Florida is the head of uh, JSOC, the Joint Special Operations Command, and also now houses the Green Berets and its Army Ranger training camp. So we're just awash in this very specific type of uh, guy. Um, and I'm looking at this picture of, of, of Goudreau in front of his Silver Corp presentation background, and it's just all this guy, whereas they're, like, really outgoing, really detail-oriented, I have a plan, and then you, like, realize they're just completely fucking out of their minds, like, behind it. Like, right, they're just <laughs> absolutely out of their mind. And there's, I should say, I know, like, a good portion of, like, JSOC guys who are really interesting, uh, sane, to the extent that you can be sane and do that stuff. Uh, people, like, I get along with them but then it's awash with these kind of just absolute fruit loops um and so like i wanted to talk briefly about <laughs> when the uh, i guess goudreau i guess is how you pronounce it i of course pronounce all french names like they're from louisiana so he's from canada so i don't know if, if goudreau is how he pronounces it it's probably that's an actual <laughs> french pronunciation but i always call him goudreau um but so i don't know how far you read in read into his background but so he gets out of of the the military and he's looking for a job opportunity and of course hurricane maria seems like dollar signs to him uh and so he he got like a job at a private security firm working like during hurricane maria and i'll tell you man like everyone i know that made money in hurricane maria is just the vilest low life possible like just there's so much there's so much history of that that hasn't been written where the, i know p i I don't know how public. I should know. I know people who became millionaires off of Hurricane Maria who were just scumbags, low life scumbags who made money just ripping off. Well, I call it ripping off the government. I think the government was paying paying them to be ripped off. Anyway, so Goudreau after this decides, like after the Parkland shootings, because he's now based in Florida. He's like, all right, I got an idea, and I think his quote is, "I saw Parkland, and I was like, well, nobody's really tackling this, so I want to fix this." Um, and his plan to fix it, I'm going to quote from the Vox article on him. Uh, it says, his big idea, have ex-special forces operatives embed in schools and pose as teachers. Since students would not know their instructors' actual identities, they might be more willing to describe how they're feeling or maybe even reveal their intentions to shoot up the school. Uh, and here's Goudreau's quote. He's just, he's a cool shop teacher. Hey, what's up, fellas? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I go sit down with a kid who's alone playing Dungeons and Dragons, and I just try to see whether there's any problems. <laughs> and so his yeah, business is rap with him. That's it. The Dungeons uh, and Dragons crowd is really the the, the shoot up um, yeah, bunch. Really the aggressive ones. Well, and the kid that's playing Dungeons and Dragons by himself, I think, is the <laughs> roll on the dice. <laughs> roll on the dice against the wall. And he has like the little. Uh, he has the little uh, the dungeon master screen, and like he'll. Like he runs, like he rolls the dice, and then he gets up and he runs to the other. Uh, he runs to the behind the screen, and then he gets up and runs like to the. He has like the character sheet at the one side of the table. Well, those are also the kids then, that are uh, most likely to confide in their shop teacher. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. hey, shop teacher! I see you've got like a, you know, an Afghani operator beard and like yeah. uh, entire yeah. like sleeves, hey. of, sleeves of like barbed wire tattoos. Hey. Um, how's it? Hey, happen? shop teacher. Yeah. Should I be a mage? Hey, shop teacher. <laughs> yeah. 
Have you ever shot up a school before? <laughs> Do you know where I can get any uh, Simtex? Thinking about murdering <laughs> everybody at my school, and then but yeah. he assumes that the 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 ex operators uh, like first reaction is going to be yeah I can get you some Simtex like what kind of what kind of deal are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah, the, 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 um, that's the thing. The people in this equation who are shooting up a fucking school are the operators, right? Like yeah, the guys came back with like seven years of PTSD from Afghanistan. From like everyone in this school looks like a kid that I murdered in Afghanistan. But now I'm the shop teacher. And the noise of these skill saws never stops. Why are they giving me lip? So, yeah. So his business plan was to uh, not go through the school district, but charge the parents a subscription service of eight ninety nine a month to be enrolled <laughs> in a subscription service where they're going to have um, these tier one operators uh, um, embed in the school as the cool shop teachers to catch the Dungeons and Dragons people. Now, uh, I'm sorry to say, his bit this didn't seem to work out. This huh, that's weird. Yeah, but uh, he did. <laughs> he did make a two-hour masterclass training or video of how to respond to a school shooting, which he starred in. Uh, I'm guessing de-escalation wasn't the the way that you do that. And they also he advertised himself with teaching school safety to school children in Cartagena, but apparently that has never been confirmed or denied. But the crazy thing, another crazy thing. Well, everything's crazy about this story. Was that he. His big break was when Richard Branson hired them to do security on a, like a, uh, um, a like anti-Maduro concert in Venezuela, on the Venezuelan Colombian or in Colombia on the Colombian Venezuelan oh, kind of border. Like, yeah, um, which is very like I kind of vaguely remember. Like I remember going to that concert. That, that re- <laughs> yeah, I remember it was really good. Uh, Major Lazer really uh, played it, I think, and. Uh, yeah. Support the money went to a good cause. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's all absurd. But then it's just this whole absurd world of like the expat Venezuelans trying to bring down Maduro, who are living in Florida and going in through Colombia, and he becomes uh, I- I- involved in that world and ends up at a meeting at a Marriott hotel in Bogota, uh, where where he gets his contract to to like train an infiltration um, force to go into Venezuela and, like, essentially, like, people who've looked at these contracts, they clearly it's a contract to, like, assassinate Maduro, right? Like, this is Mm -hmm. what the contract seems to be for. And this all runs through Trump's former bodyguard, Keith Schiller, who's making this, and that they're trying to charge them, like, $1.5 million to do this. But, like, apparently none of the money ever really moved around other than, like, a (laughs) $50,000 advance. Um but it was going to be paid for by Goudreau was going to like do all this. And then uh, the U.S. was going to seize the Venezuelan um, oil fields and pay for it with $750 million in investments in the oil fields that Goudreau was then going to get. That was going to be his share out of it. Right. Uh, so apparently this kind of started to fizzle out like the money wasn't really being paid. So then Silver Corp just starts sending out these tweets like we're doing it. We're going in President Trump, like tagging <laughs> President Trump, like. We're in there. We're invading um, Venezuela. And then in some of the most satisfying footage I've seen in decades, they just got murked by Venezuelan fishermen <laughs> who called them in and um, uh, called uh, Venezuelan security forces uh, who have caught them, have caught them and uh, have all their IDs and stuff and have, have them in 
in, in the pokey now in lockup. Uh, so that's an insane thing that happened. And it's one of those things like, uh, you know, of course, the U.S. government is like, we're not involved in that at all. Uh, but I think if it had been successful, <laughs> um, probably would not be the case. And the U.S. has been involved in those things. Uh, across our history, as the I, I hate to give the Economist any credit, but their article on the it was called entitled "Bay of Piglets," which is very, <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, yeah, but if you ever want to know like what Florida's like, just imagine just shitloads of, of people like this guy just kind of uh, floating around, um, floating around everywhere. They're all out there going to the beach. Going to the beach. Hanging out at the bar. But um, not even necessarily U.S. beaches. No, just going to the beach wherever. Yeah. Signing a contract to drive a motorboat to a beach on the other side of the Gulf. <laughs> uh, yeah. Some people call it stupid Bay of, Big, Bay, of, Bay of Pigs. I like Bay of Piglets better. That's very good. Good job, economist. You're good sometimes. Um, I think the intelligencer called it the, wrote an article called The Dumbest Aspects of the Apparent Coup Attempt in Venezuela. <laughs> but the one thing is, like, if you read like the history of a lot of coups, they're all kind of this dumb. It's just sometimes they work. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, they're all pretty dumb. Like, even if you read, like, you know, Castro's Return to Cuba, it's like you fell out of a boat. Like, what? And then they dropped you. I mean, if it didn't work, it would have also sounded incredibly, incredibly dumb. Uh, um, I was reading in the Military Times that... Uh, um, um, uh, what are, what are we calling him? Goudreau? Goudreau, um, sure. Goudreau, uh, that he had pitched, uh, this plot to investors in Colorado last year. And at that point claimed that he had links to, uh, people in the Trump administration and DC consultants. Is that him? Did he just get invaded? Sorry, my dog's very upset. <laughs> no. The Silver Corp just knocked your down dog, your door. Yeah, your dog is afraid of the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to, I think, NPR today, and um, somebody's dog was, barked in the background. Um, and I thought, well, now the rest of the world is on, on the level with us. And yeah, why not? Sitting in their living rooms doing their thing. Yeah, I saw the lady in the, the Philippines who had the cat fight behind her while she was on, like, national TV. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. It was just cats just wrestling. Why not? <laughs> All right, so I want to – I think we'll be coming back to that story. There's so much good stuff there. But I want to transition to another story uh, from South Carolina. And I don't – okay. It's a morbid story, but sometimes morbid is also humorous because the world is a complicated place. So I'm just going to read the AP's account of this story to you, and I'm sure you've read it before, but um, I'm going to read the AP's account. Uh, woman killed by alligator in South Carolina was doing homeowner's nails. Columbia, South Carolina. The woman attacked and killed by an alligator in a gated community along the South Carolina coast was visiting the homeowner to do her nails and was trying to touch the animal when it grabbed her, authorities said. After briefly getting away from the alligator Friday, the woman stood in waist-deep water in the Kiowa Island pond and said, I guess I won't do this again. But the alligator grabbed her in its jaws again and took her under, according to a supplemental police report released Tuesday. Uh, Cynthia Covert, 58, died of drowning before Charleston County deputies and firefighters were able to shoot and kill the alligator and use poles to get her out of the pond, authorities said. <clears throat> There's more that goes on about her salon, but can I recommend to everyone... Uh, don't try to touch an alligator. If I can give you one piece of advice as a Floridian, 
it never makes sense to try to touch an alligator. Well, it's kind of strange. Even if I mean, it's there's asleep? not too many in South yeah. uh, Carolina. Uh, if I, I mean, where I used to go to in summers when I would go to South Carolina with my family, um, I somebody I remember once somebody saying that they had seen an alligator um, uh, swimming near uh, Polly's Island where we used to go, but I never saw one, and I know they weren't common at all. So I don't know. These sorts of stories are hard for me. Partly because as much as um, they're, uh, as you say, there's a, a kind of a, um, pleasure in it. I talked about, I think last week, maybe, no, well, not last week, but maybe a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the quote from Ovid where he says, uh, there is no rule more just than that someone who uh, contrives death should be killed by their own contrivance and there's a whole thing where you um, you just do something that is courting death and then you you catch it and there's something a little bit uh, um, grimly satisfying about that or whatever but watching people's reaction to it is really hard for me Um, uh, just the absolute glee some people take in death because it's far away you know it's not somebody they knew or whatever there was a guy in uh, texas who was the first person in like a hundred years to be killed by an alligator who it was at a rest stop and he um and they told him there's an alligator in the water there and he jumped in anyway and he said something smart alecky about um about the alligator before jumping in and getting eaten by an alligator oh i remember that yeah 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 and it's just like um i was showing i guess last year i was showing some videos of big landslides no it was it was last year but this school year Uh i was showing videos of big uh mudslides and landslides in my geology class to some younger kids and i was sort of screening them first to make sure that nobody was obviously killed in them or anything uh, because I was showing it to younger kids. But there's always somebody walking towards the landslide. Like, they want to get as close to it as (laughs) they can. Yeah. And it's in every single one. And, um, you know, I guess they just assume that the part of the mountain they're standing under isn't going to come down. And in the videos I showed, it didn't. But that doesn't mean that it never does. And the same thing, like, why would you want to touch an alligator? When we took students... um, from UNO, when we took students down to Costa Rica, there were college students, supposedly at least fairly bright, who wanted to walk up to the crocodiles that were laying out on the banks of um, the the river there in Costa Rica. Like these, you know, 16, 17 foot long crocodiles. And they just wanted to see how close they could get. And... I don't know. I mean, it just seems insane to me. Like, why would you, why would you want to do that? Well, aren't they from Louisiana? Shouldn't they have gotten enough of that at home? Uh, most of them were from Louisiana, and you would think they would have gotten enough of it at home, but I guess not. Or maybe they think you crocodiles ask, are as sweet-tempered as alligators. I mean, you ask why, but I ask why not. <laughs> <laughs> you're and you're still to... here. Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> well, some of it, you know, I like 
No, some of it's like I, you know, growing up in Florida, we had alligators. Like alligators were in yards and stuff. So you're just naturally cautious about alligators. So like the whole kind of being cavalier about alligators is crazy to me. Apparently, this the lady also said they warned her about the alligator, and she said, "I don't look like a deer," and went over to touch it. So, uh, yeah. trying to, yeah, try not the to. Tourists do, that. do this stuff with bears in the park. I, and uh, I was going to say that, like, yeah, yeah we, uh, we've seen that. I was just thinking that out by your house, where people driving in a convertible through uh, Cade's Cove, sitting up in the back of it, pointing out the the family of bears that are like ten feet away. Yeah, uh, or we'll feed the bear. We'll try to feed bears. <laughs> did you see Linnea had a picture of a baby bear outside of her house? Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, and her her comment was, "Go away, little bear." And um, I well, think actual, that's actual people are always like that. Like I'm like, "Do you have bears?" I say, "Oh yeah." If you take out the garbage, you know. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um. So well, I do remember. I do remember. like that once when I was running. I was running through War. The I was like in the backwoods of like Warren Wilson, and I was running. And I saw like a baby bear, and I was like, "Oh wow, like a baby bear!" But then I was like, <laughs> "Holy shit!" If there's a baby bear, <laughs> and then I was like, "I'm I'm like the farthest away I am from like anything." So and I just ran as I mean that's probably the fastest <laughs> I may have ran and. In a long time, but why the last year well, running at Mars Hill where I went and there's a bear on the football field or across oh, yeah. the end of the football field? Like I'm like, what is that coming up out of the stream? And the bear looked at me like, what are you doing running past the stream? And we kind of looked at each other for a minute, and then it took up off the mountain, and I like did the backing away slowly, saying, uh, "You're good, Mr. Bear." I think part of it is just people who aren't familiar, though. Like a few years back when i was at the beach there was a shark warning and there was apparently a huge shark out there and i swam out to touch it because you know i'm just not around sharks very much and i just thought you know i want to touch it i don't look like a halibut yeah it was a whale shark though so you just got like kind of gummed a whole bunch (laughs) uh so there's um uh uh, Tulane uh, geography professor Richard Campanella, a uh, prolific author Richard Campanella, had a tweet yesterday, which was, I commented, was um, both peak Rich Campanella and peak Louisiana, southeast Louisiana all at once. He, his tweet says, if you're thinking about getting out today, don't go to Biosignette State Park. It's open and charging fees, but the fishing dock and boat ramps are all deeply flooded and most roads are closed. Right now we're dodging wasps, fire ants, and alligators by some drainage canal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get out so much when I lived in Louisiana. I mostly stayed close to the gunshots and the crack dealers in my neighborhood. Um, uh, felt safer than felt safer than uh, Swamp the West Bank. Ride. Yeah, well, we've got to get through other. You've got to get through rival uh, gun dealers and crack crack houses want to get across the West Bank to get to like John Lafitte anyway. So, <laughs> ones you're an outsider on. All right, so. Um, I wanted to close up today. Uh, there's been. Are, are any of you like? Are you members of like your like hometowns history pages or like the way it used to be or any of that kind of stuff? Oh yeah. So, yeah. mine is. Uh, oh, where'd that go? Mine is uh, really good sometimes. Um, really disturbing other times. And like has involved me having to report people for like being insanely racist or making like really off-the-wall political claims on there. But over the last week or so, there is a uh, old-school 
Destin boat captain who I grew up around named Ben Marler, <laughs> who's a little bit older than my dad. And he's also, if you know Ben, he's a very um, he's a very nice guy, but he's very super, super religious. So there's no conversation you will have with him that's not about religion. He's just wired that yeah. way. But he started making these incredible posts about local history, which are written in all caps. Um, <laughs> and they're almost impossible to read. And they always end up being in, in something about how you should go to church or get right with the Lord. But, like, parts of them are just sound. I mean, I want to steal all of these and just make these as a great novel. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit of, of one or two of them for you and I will stop in the middle cause I can't go on, but these are amazing and just picture them being written in all caps. So here's the start <clears throat> boat racing, the way it was in Destin Harbor. I recall my mom telling me that when my dad finished his sane boat stardust, the crew wanted to see which was faster. Well, it wasn't much of a contest for the Plymouth was older and heavier. The stardust also constructed of juniper and it gained a lot of weight from sitting in the water for all wood will. She said when they were side by side running down the harbor, she was shouting, come on, Plymouth. But like I said, it was all—it was over almost before they began the race. Now I can remember when folks came from all over to race hydroplane holes. These boats were about 8 feet long and 40 inches wide. The engines were only about 20 horsepower, as I recall. They were, there were floating buoys anchored to create about a one-quarter-mile circle, which they ran wide open. Now one man had a German outboard motor that ran at very high RPM, and it sounded like a banshee once going. It was kind of funny. He'd be left in the wake of the American power boats, but soon here he'd come to get with the pack. On the turns, he and they would have to throttle back a bit to keep from flipping, and it, and it allowed them to leave him again. They went on for as long as the race went on. To this day, I'm not sure who won, but I guess they all did, for they were all smiling and standing around to plan to plan the next one. Later, they re the really big league boats came and raced in the Gulf like we see on TV with a helicopter camera crew. I'll have to tell you about the time when my dad had Her Majesty 11 built in Biloxi. It was sister ship to Her Highness and looked the same, but the comparison ended there. Her Highness had three 671 GM diesels. Okay, it, it keeps, I'm not even halfway through yet. And this is in all caps. <laughs> this is in all caps. Uh, and then I'm going to read you the end because this is how they all kind of end. Uh, I want to tell you more about this race, but I will say every fishing trip afterwards was full speed ahead with black smoke pouring from the dry exhaust on the top decks. I hope Daddy was watching from above. I love you all many tons. If you aren't positive, you'll be looking, be up looking down like my dad. Fall before Jesus and surrender to him as your Lord. On Judgment Day, he will tell the Father, I saved, that one while hanging on the cross and he or she lived in obedience to what you taught me to tell them. Old Destin was a marvelous place back when I was younger. Yep. <laughs> That's what I'm going to tell him. There's more, but I don't even know if I can go on like this. But uh, there's one about uh, how they used to get ice, which is amazing, uh, and about like building ice boxes and chipping ice. There's one about the schools of catfish that used to come through, and they would get like hundreds of pounds of catfish. There's my favorite one about when there weren't any police and the sheriff trying to stuff a drunk guy in his car um, and drive him back up to the north part of the county. But these are all, they're pretty well written. Like, they're really good. They're really good, but they're written in all caps and all conclude uh, about Jesus saving you. Uh, the, my um, Blount County one, Memories of Blount County, is all just. Do you guys remember there being a sandwich shop? Yes. Um, uh, by the grocery store over <laughs> yes. on Broadway. Yes. Those sorts of things rather than um, <laughs> a lot of tale telling. And, and then as soon as people start telling stories, it starts getting a little janky pretty quick. Um, 
Because there's very often an agenda, and it often has to do with how some people used to know their place so much better. Yeah. Well, that's what, like, majority of the posts on here, like, uh, you remember the bar that used to be behind the grocery store? And someone will be like, oh, yeah, it was the, everyone went there, and, like, no one else has ever heard of it. Or it's like, then there'll be <laughs> ones like, do you, do you remember 2007? It's like, no, this is, like, no one cares about the year 2000. <laughs> 2007 like do you remember the GameStop that was next to the mall in 2007 and then you know of course one sixteenth of the post are like uh i think i saw a terrorist walking into dell champs because he has buying he was like brown with a mustache and buying pro propane uh and then <laughs> yeah stuff like that or yeah um or just like you know yeah, live what happened to a trump rally or something what happened to this country yeah, a lot of that stuff. Is there like a Taswell history, Taswell moments in time? There, well, there's like a guy on. Actually, he just recently passed away, but he tells a lot of like, well, do you remember like uh, up in Sharp Chapel? Like, you remember up in Sharp Chapel? Uh, you know, Jimmy that ran the boat. He used to run. Um, he started out running Lone uh, Lone Mountain Boat Dock, but then he moved down to Sharp Chapel Boat Dock. And he ran that for a while, and it was good because they had the good gas. Like, Sharp Chapel had the best gas on the lake and kind of stuff like that. And they're actually some fairly good stories, but it kind of, yeah. It, it's uh, very uh, esoteric. And like I said, he recently, he's no longer with us. Um, that guy. That's the guy I follow. There might be some other secret. So now he Taswell is Taswell history. history. Yeah, he is Taswell history. Or Claiborne County. It's more Claiborne County history. But I'm glad like somebody's writing these. These are actually interesting. They're actually good. Like I, I would, I want to package these and uh, sell them as my own novel. I don't think that's legal. Oh, that would God bless. Now, so I'm going to do it. Uh, I, uh, it will I be have soon. A few people like I follow on Facebook just because they seem like characters from outrageous novels. Yeah. Well, this could like be published as like like the last words of Dutch Schultz or something, right? Yeah, you could write. You could uh, be the. Uh, you could write the auto. You could be the auto. You could write the autobiography. It's true. It's true. All right. Well, we've covered a lot today. On that note, I think we'll end it for this time. See you guys next time. See you next time. See you next time.